All right, now, isn't that a very exciting verse of Scripture to make you all happy today? Um, good to see you all here today. We're going to have fun. We're going to continue our series today. We've been doing, if you're visiting with us today, we've been doing a series called um, Apps for Life. And apps is short for? Now, let's try that again. It's short for what? Applications, because we can know everything about anything, but if we don't apply it to our life, it means absolutely nothing. So we need to embrace applications. Today, we're going to be spending a lot of time in 1 Kings, and I want, it, you can see I put the scriptures in your handout, your bulletin, but I also have them up on the screen. So um, we're just going to go through a, a quick journey in life. Let me ask something. Has anybody felt that at a time in your life, you've been depressed or had uh, how, many, how many feel like you've had depressed moments? Like last week we were talking about Sabbath moments. There's real brief times. How many have had depressed moments? I'd say probably everybody in this room has had one of those. What about how many have had a prolonged depression for maybe a week or two or maybe more? How many feel like you live in depression? Okay, there's other people. It is of epidemic, epidemic proportions uh, depression. And one of the things I found out in doing some research is that 50 years ago, the average age was about 29 or so, where depression on, was onset. Nowadays, they look and they say that depression hits at the average age of 14.5, 14 and a half years. Amazing, huh? So this is one of those uh, messages today that, um, that kind of, I, I, I gathered some, some facts. I got some people helping. Um, Jessica helped a lot. She's uh, um, been involved in counseling and in psychology, and so she's, she helped me out through some things, and some other people helped me out, and then when, when you're in doubt, God and Google work, right? G&G, so we work through there. But, you know, it is really, really interesting when we look at our lives and how much time we spend just being down. Now, after the worship, we've had the worship music and the stuff where we sang. You know, I got to tell you, this week I was, I was kind of even more excited about some of the songs we were doing and, and then what I was going to talk about. Because, you know, when you, when you deal talking about and setting up a, a message on depression, it kind of depresses you a little bit, just to let you know. And so I, some of the songs that we were singing this week just were kind of lifting me up, and I was singing them all throughout the week. And, and kind of continued on with me. But it does seem odd that after we, we sing these songs about love will hold us together. And we talk uh, about these other kind of things. Home, that you know, no matter what, we have a home and yada, yada, yada. That all of a sudden, here I go, I'm going to say, how can we be depressed? It seems kind of odd uh, in that. But for many of us, have you ever been really happy and content, but you can't hold on to it? You've had those moments in life that seem like you're at the... At the pinnacle of happiness and joy, and then the next second, you're down at the bottom and you just can't seem to even get dressed or eat or do anything or move. Or you have a pain that is within your life that Motrin can't take care of. You have a need for something and you've needed it for so long, you don't even know what it is and you just figure it's never going to happen anyway. And so you just end and you continue in this existence. There's one pastor who once said, have you ever had a situation that you drowned in that you should have walked on? Using the reference to Jesus and Peter walking on the water. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, there's, there's bouts of like a little bit of depression. And, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think God allows these situations to happen so I can share them with you. But the other week, um, my youngest, who's five and a half, was at the dentist. And... How many people like going to the dentist? 
Okay, one, Andy, you like going to the dentist? Anybody? You, Dave does? I, not many people raise their hand for that one. Um, but my son was there, and he was just, I, I, Melissa called me. I went to pick up one of the other ones, and I get there, and the doctor's like, we, we're going to have to make some other arrangement because he's just not doing this. I said, I'll, I'll bribe him. I'll do what every good dad does. Um, so I'm in there. I'm trying to do everything. I'm giving him my phone and trying everything to do. And Abigail went back there with him, my oldest daughter, She's sitting there with him, and she comes back out, and she's dying laughing. And I said, what? She goes, he looks at the doctor. He's got tears in his eyes, and he goes, I just don't know what happened. I was home brushing my teeth, and now I'm here. (laughs) Isn't that great? How many of us have felt that way when we go to the dentist? I don't know what happened. I was flossing and everything, and now I'm here, you know? And in his own little mind, he was in this point where his whole world was crashing down at that moment. And I had to buy some apps for him and some other bribery just to get him to go through it, you know, just to keep the little mask on. It was just, his world was destroyed. Yesterday, he's looking at, the, at my wife's iPad, and all of a sudden, he's looking at the iPad, and he's looking at these videos, and he just starts, he comes in, and he says, look at this, and he has all these little pictures, like a little chicks and bunnies that somebody put, like, costumes on, and he's like, aren't they cute? And then all of a sudden, he goes, but daddy, there's this video, and there's one in a cage, and he's just lost it. And I'm like, well, quit looking at it. And he said, no, but he's so cute. I'm like, I don't need this. You know what I mean? But in those moments, and, and as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, my gosh, for him, that's his world torn apart. That somebody would take this cute little thing and stick it in a cage. Or, you know, I am brushing, but why am I here for this torture? And yet, many of us ask that same question. The question I'm asking is, the same thing that many of us have. How are we here with this depression and stuff that we exist? And the question is, do any of you have a situation or have you been in a situation where you feel that you should be walking on it, but you're really sinking in the midst of that? Again, most of us have had some kind of situation that has left us down. And I don't want to talk about today ones that are chemical, that really need to be treated and, and you know, deeply. I'm going to talk about I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer and say, whoa, you leave here and from now on you like click your heels up in the air. I'm no longer depressed. Yay. I, what I'm going to do is give you the application to help guide you into the right points in your life and give you some guidelines to get you there that I really believe God is sharing with us. And there are several different kinds that I, I just kind of want to touch on, but there are different types of depression. Just to let you know kind of what I'm talking about. Major depressive disorder where you may have two weeks of, of mood change and along with some of the other things that we're going to talk about another one um this 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 mic disorder two you may have two years with this mood these mood change we'll talk about these in, in a second and some of the other areas as well and then there is um depressive disorder not otherwise specified that it just kind of lumps in because it doesn't match the other terminologies and and we have these kind of different things. So what I want to do is how I've done every week is share with you some symptoms of depression. These are just some. I'm sure you could find a billion different ones. But one of the things is, number one, here we go. And you can follow along in your bulletin and just write in there. And then you'll know where I'm headed. And today you may say, where did he go? And I'll say, I don't know. We're just going. But the first thing is, symptoms are persistent sadness, anxiety, or empty moods or feelings. Some of us, when we say that sentence, can put ourselves in a position right there, can't we? We can feel it. We can like, oh, yeah, I remember that. 
And in this area, you have tremendous feelings of guilt. You may be pessimistic about everything in life. There's a hopelessness that seems to overwhelm you. You worry and other kinds of things. And you catastrophize. I'm not going to mess this up. You think everything's catastrophic. There we go. How do you like that one? You know, everything is catastrophic. The milk spills, it's the end of the world. You know, these kind of things. And this is one of the symptoms that we begin with. The next one is that you begin to have a diminished interest and focus in activities and any kind of pleasure at all. You're listless. You don't care. You have low energy. You're completely fatigued. I mentioned that word. Don't I mention fatigue? Does that hit a couple of people in here? Fatigue. You have the inability to think and to focus on activities or any kind of pleasure at all, no matter what it may be. Even the greatest amounts of pleasure you find this way. The next one is one that seems to be rampant when I see. Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. You have people who feel that they're worthless, maybe because they were told they were worthless throughout their lives. Thoughts of death and suicidal ideation, which is where you actually form thoughts about how you're going to end your life. And I dare say that there's several people in this room who have done that before in your life. You may not have gone through with it or particularly made the plans, but you thought about it and set the framework up that if I, I can't take this anymore and I just want to end my life, here's the pattern of how I'm going to do it. Another thing, sleeping disorders. You may have insomnia where you're up all night, or you may have hypersomnia where you have long bouts of sleep, 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 often during the day where you don't even want to pull, get the covers over your, away from your head. You just want to hide there. And you're hoping that if you doze off just enough, that it, you'll stay asleep enough that you'll just go, go ahead and die and not have to ever see anybody or go anywhere. You begin to have a loss of appetite and ex, or excessive overeating as well. These are just a few of the symptoms that we find, as I said, you can find many, many others. And when I began to look at this, I started to think, where is the best example? And what, is, what does the scripture say about depression? And I found the greatest example, which was read to us by Debbie, in the scripture from somebody named Elijah. Now, when we look at Elijah, Elijah is a prophet who is the coolest guy. If we go to, if you went to, uh, if you have your Bibles and you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll find something really cool about Elijah. I know there's a disciple just went through the story, and I told him it's one of my favorite stories. It's, you've got Elijah, and you've got these 450 prophets of Baal who don't believe in the God of Israel, and they're going ahead, and they're, they said, let's have a contest. Everybody like contest? Now, I, I thought the sermon would be a little bit better received if the Ravens had lost last week, right? For some of you, you would have been in here very depressed, but they did win, so just pretend you're 49ers fans today or Eagles fans like me. And so what we find out is at this point, Elijah is the cream of the crop. It's him and some other people, and the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves, and they're having a good time, and they're saying, they're, they're going around and saying, please, Baal, light this altar on fire. Light it on fa- fire. Light it on fire. And nothing happens. And Elijah's having a really good time. He said, shout louder. Go ahead. Maybe he's sleeping. And then he's, at one point he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's how we translate it. He's, he gets very vulgar in how he, literal translation. And he gets downright, and, and finally he says, you know what? I've had enough of your mess. And he says, take our altar. Take, put the uh, offering on there. 
douse it with water, fill it to the trough around, and then he says, oh God, show these people who's God. Fire falls from heaven, burns up the sacrifice, cleans up all the water, and then he says, see those suckers over there? Go kill them. And he kills and has them killed and slaughtered and dead, and it's like, whoa! It is like one of those stories. It would be a great story on television, a great movie about Elijah. And then just the next day, something happens. Let me tell you, there's a king. He's not a good king. He's not a godly king. Is king. Anybody remember his name? King Ahab. And he had a wife. Something everybody wants to name their daughter today. Jezebel, right? So he has Jezebel. And Jezebel was wicked and nasty. And, you know, when we call somebody a Jezebel, we're not saying they're just a wonderful person, do we? And Je- so Ahab goes back and he tells Jezebel this story. And let's look again here. What it says, it's also on the bottom and the top of your bulletin in the inside. It says, now Ahab, follow along with me, and again up on the screen. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now, Elijah, the day before, 450 prophets, all these people out there, he's saying, nay, he's in the bathroom, you know, throwing some toilet paper, throw your God some TP. And he says, he goes through all this, and then all of a sudden, he said, Jezebel says, I'm going to get you, sucker. I'm going to make you dead like one of them. And so we expect Elijah to go, bring it on, don't you? Wouldn't it be like you expect him to, you talking to me? Bring it on, I'll take you out. I took them out, I'll take you out. Don't you expect that? Isn't that what the next part of the story should be? Nope. Look at what happens here. It says right here, Elijah was afraid and did what? Ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran, 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 ran for his life. It is amazing. He runs and he runs and he runs. He leaves his servant someplace and he runs some more. And now we come to this next verse right here. It says that he ran for his life and he came to, be, to a broom tree and sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. And listen to this statement. This is a guy who is just, he's cocky. He's got this arrogance. He's like, God, we'll show you what's up. One day later, one word from one woman, he says, I've had enough. I just want to die. And as he goes through this more and more, he sits there. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. Sound like fatigue? All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up. Get up and eat. And he looked around. And there by his head was some Bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is what? Too much for you. One of the things we learn in this world is the journey is too much for you and I, for you and me alone. We need God's help through it all. There are moments that you can be on the top of the world, and in the next second you can come crashing down to earth. We can name names like Tiger Woods and Lance Armstrong. We can name some others, can't we? Over the years that we're here, and then it all comes crashing down. I can name people in the church 
who have done that. So what happened here? The thing that first happened here is Jezebel said, I'm going to get you, sucker. And what happened is Jezebel's words had power. And let me ask, add another little bit to that blank there. Jezebel's perceived words. You see, they all wanted to kill him the day before, but he knew Jezebel would, and he perceived that she was somebody of her word. And one of the things we find out is it doesn't matter about how we, what's real or not. Perception is reality in our lives. How you read something is a reality in your life. If you think somebody doesn't like you, and they say, no, I like you, you're not going to believe it because you perceive that they don't like you. Has anybody been there before? If you perceive that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, guess what? It is. If you perceive that you have greater trials than you do blessings, guess what? That's going to be reality in your life. And at this point, Elijah had come to a point where he had no self-worth. I am no better than my ancestors. I have failed you. He laid down and just collapsed and fell asleep. He ran hundreds of miles by the end of this journey. It wasn't just like he went for a jog to just kind of be therapeutic and get it out. He wanted to die in his life. The other things that we see there is fear and doubt. So first of all, Jezebel's words had perceived power and also it planted seeds of doubt and fear in his life. Can anybody relate to that? And then what it caused him to do is, to, is uh, something that we all need to know. That's last blank underneath. The journey is too much for us. Has anybody had those Elijah moments in your life? I have. More than I would like to imagine. So why am I like this? Why am I like this? Because we got to go back, in order to recognize this, we have to go back to how I am created and how you are created. God created us in his image. And what I believe that means is God created us in a plurality point. We have God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we are also created in a triune manner, body, soul, and spirit. And if we ignore one of those areas, we're going to have issues in our lives. For instance... I'm going to say this statement, and then we're going to put it up here. Each human who walks the face of the earth is a spirit, has a soul, and lives in a body. Now, let's look at this. For instance, if I am so spiritual, which is a very popular term now. It means I don't have to commit to anything. I can believe what I want, and I don't have to commit to anything. But let's look at this. If I build up my spirit, but my body goes downhill, I will have a great calling and a great anointing for God, but I won't have any strength to carry it through if I let my body just completely go to the wayside. Okay? That's one. If, if that's how my spirit is. If I pour myself and build up my body, I will be strong, 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 but I'll be like an empty safe, having nothing of value inside. And we're going to talk about our soul in, in a bit. So let's look at spirit again. What, is, what are we talking about when we talk about having a spirit? It's the Greek term pneuma. Where, that's why we put a P in front of pneumonia, um, if anybody ever wondered that. Um, but our spirit is what keeps us in tune with God. 
Now let's go ahead and move ahead. So just hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. The body, let's go to the body. The body makes us conscious of the world around us. For instance, is anybody cold in here right now? Okay, I thought I was having menopause or something. Um, Our body is what tells us it's cold. It's hot. We sense the world around us through our body. We get pain. If, If you slap my hand, ouch, right? I feel that. I sense the world around me. If I walk along been barefoot and step on something, ouch, I feel the world. I know it's cold. I know it's hot. I can't wait till spring and summer. Anybody with me? Okay, we've had enough of this. Thank God we don't live in, in Connecticut. Please pray for those people up there. I saw a picture where somebody opened the door and it was in the, the door print was in the snow. No thank you. Didn't need that much. Okay? When it's cold, when it's hot, we understand touch. We understand, it gets sore. It gets tough, you know, like you... From playing guitar, I've got some rough areas here. You know, I've, I've started to have hair growing out of places it shouldn't be growing out of. You know what I mean? Anybody hit that 40-year-old age and the hair stops growing here and starts growing here and here? And you're like, where did that thing come from? Right? Have you noticed something? Have you noticed that dead people don't complain about the weather? Have you noticed that? You know Why? Because that part of sensing or consciousness or awareness of the world is gone when you die. But that's not the end of you. When the body dies, you lose world consciousness. But we are also a spirit. So we live in a body, but we are a spirit. And what the spirit is, is gives us a God awareness. It makes us conscious of God. The scripture tells, that's why we worship. Do you know that? That's why we worship. It talks about giving God worth. The scripture says that, the, that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It also talks about that the Holy Spirit searches our body and ministers with our spirits. Searching even the deepest things of our lives. We are spirit that even though when we die, our world consciousness goes out the window our consciousness of God doesn't, particularly if we have made the right decision for Jesus Christ. You see what I mean? Everybody follow along with me here? Okay. One person, three parts. So we have this connection that we have. God is a spirit. Spirit unto spirit is how we connect here. But we are also, and you're right about this point, you're going, okay, what the heck are you talking about? I thought we were talking about depression. Okay, here we go. We um, have a soul. And the soul is the Greek term psyche, psychology, psychiatry. That's where it comes from. And it means your will, intellect, and emotions. What it does is give us a self-awareness. So we have the body, which is awareness of what? Or consciousness of what? The world around us. We have a spirit that gives us a consciousness of God. And we have this psyche, which is an awareness of what? self And if you have too much of that, you get what? Self-conscious and self-aware. How many of you you are somebody, if I called on you to come up here and pray right now, you would flip out and run out the door? Okay, come on. No, just joking. Um, Some people are like, some of you said, I'm not raising my hand just because he's going to call on me. Am I right? That is your psyche, your conscious awareness of yourself acting right here. 
And when we see that enacted, when we see that continuing, we find out that every ounce of nervousness you've ever had in your life comes from your psyche and your self-awareness. It doesn't come from your body. Your mind tells you, like for instance, I will not wear a Speedo on the beach unless I'm dared and it's something humorous. Because I am self-aware of everybody else on the beach and, ha- and it would be like the, theme, the scene from Jaws where everybody takes off and runs out the beach. But it's not my body saying that. It's my mind conceiving my body because of my self-awareness. Following along with me here? There are people who will go out with anything or nothing on because they don't care. So what we find out, our nervousness has stiffened our creativity over the years. There are people in this church who have gifts that you haven't used because you're too self-aware. You're too self-conscious of yourself. And what you've done, you've become nervous. And your self-consciousness is greater than your God-consciousness. That's what we do all the time. In my soul contains all my memories, my affections, my passions, my desires. I can foster any image in my mind right now. You really want me to mess you up in church where you're thinking about God? And I can say, think of the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. It's right there, isn't it? And it better not be me in a Speedo. All right? You can think of it, can't you? This is the greatest computer that was ever built. It just keeps filling information and filling information and filling information that God gave us. But it also is that bad thing because it reminds us of all that other stuff, doesn't it? Don't we wish we had that delete button that we could just take it off? Yeah, yeah, sometimes you you begin to forget things. I can think myself into any situation. Or at least I can fool my body into thinking that. Like, have you ever gone somewhere and you're just distraught and you're down and you're depressed and you're like, you're like Elijah and you see people and you say, they say, how are you doing? You go, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's fine. You put on the, the good face and you think to yourself, you know, I can do this. I can make this happen. No matter how holy you are, no matter how many theological degrees or whatever initials you have after your name, your mind is under attack consci- constantly. Constantly, And no matter what you have, there are times when you want to give up and you're just like Elijah and say, I wish I could just die. You could be the wealthiest person in the world and you can be the most miserable person in the world. You can be the hottest person in the world. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means good looking. Okay? Um, the, the best looking person in the world. And you know what? You can be miserable. I've heard stories of people who were deemed as being the best looking people in the world at the time. And they said it was a curse. Because as their, as their looks began to go with age, it left them with a messed up, warped identity. They didn't know who they were. You think Elizabeth Taylor loved hearing about how beautiful she was as a young person? You remember that? She loved it when she was young, but when she was older, oh, you were so beautiful when you were younger. Thanks. You know? I had a class the other day that told one guy, I told him, I said, yeah, you know, wait till you're at 41 going to 42. They said, this one guy says, I thought you were like 28. I said, dude, you're passing this class, you know. Um, because we, there's something about us that does this. Yes, it can be good. You remember the old... 
the old cartoons with the devil and the angel and like that's constantly going on in our lives, isn't it? Have you ever seen somebody or and, and you think good thoughts and all of a sudden this weird thought pops in your mind, you're like, where the heck did that come from? Because you are there's constantly, I know the women have been doing a study, battlefield of the mind, right? Your mind is what Satan wants to attack more than anything. There are times when you just want to give up. And Christians are really, 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 really good about trying to cover it up. We come to church, we go, oh, we'll worship, we'll praise God, and then we'll go home and our lives will be a complete wreck and disaster. Our marriages will be falling apart. Our, we'll look at each other. We can't stand looking at ourselves in the mirror. And yet we'll come here and we'll just set it, we'll try to set it aside, but it's here. We're carrying it on us like a weighty thing. And then we're saying, I'm not connecting to God because you know why? Our self-consciousness is greater than our what? Our God-consciousness. And when we get that self-aware and self-focused, we've got a problem. So how did Elijah get here? Elijah got here in several different ways. We are, humanity is a spirit, has a soul, and lives in a body. Let's look at Elijah a little bit more here. How did Elijah get here? Well, yeah, some different things happened. And let's look at this right here. Elijah reaches his broom tree and he gets to this point. Elijah had a problem. And here was the problem Elijah had starting off. Elijah had nobody to talk to. Absolutely nobody to talk to. Look at what this verse of Scripture says. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is after Elijah has got up from the broom tree. He ran. He ended up going to Mount Horeb, which is where uh, Moses did all his stuff. So he ran hundreds of miles. Anybody ever run mentally hundreds of miles? Or maybe physically to get away from your own depression? He said... I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. Switch the page here. Let me see what this. And I am what? The only one left, and they are what? Now, isn't this interesting? He says he's the only one left. There's about seven, there's several others, 7,000 others. But when you're in that point in your life and you're in that point of your own self-absorption, you feel like you're alone. And so number one we have, we have Elijah is fatigued. Anybody fatigued? Anybody live life tired? Anybody exist tired? Okay, that's one of those symptoms. You are tired. We are fatigued. We have become now the most overworked country. It used to be Japan and now we've become the most overworked that there is. We, and then if we have some time, we fill it with anything we can. Remember last week we talked about busyness? Fill it with anything that we can. We all need somebody in our life or some ones in our life that we can tell the good, the bad, and the ugly to. I need somebody in my life who isn't going to look at me as Reverend Cohen or Pastor Jack. I need somebody who in my life knows me as Jack and knows me that the mess that I am and only by the grace of God that I'm not just smote right here. Isn't that a good word, smote? Don't you just feel like God should smite you sometimes? 
I need those people in my life. Now, I'm not telling you I need the people to remind you of the stuff I did when I was younger. I got enough of that here, right? But what I do need is somebody who has been through life with me and who remembers when I was there and who knows me and loves me enough to talk to me and hear me and not be shocked. Many of these pastors and people that I've found that have fallen from great high positions of worship leadership that fell hard, everything they say is when I started to talk to a fellow Christian about it, they looked shocked and amazed and I had to pass it off. They had no one to talk to in their lives. Some of these people may be friends, but other people may be professional counselors. There is a stigma to counseling. And I'm also going to specifically talk to men here because particularly with men, we think that we've got to be tough and suck it up or else we're not man enough to deal with our problems. That is a great tool of the enemy. You need each other and sometimes we just need somebody to throw the things of life on that has nothing involved, thus a professional counselor. It's good for you. Sharing is therapeutic for the soul. It really is good. Remember I said last week, self-care is not selfish. Not selfish at all. So he was fatigued. And one of the other things I found out about him is he was in a period of transition. How do I know that? Well, if we go to the broom tree, if we go to the broom tree, there's, there's two meals that are baked. One is when he, when he gets there, falls asleep, and they said, you, you need to eat this so that you can recover from the journey that you've taken. That journey was too much taken. The next one is a meal for him to go on. What we're finding here is Elijah is in a point in his life where he's in transition. He was the prophet. And he was in a point in transition where now the prophet and the main man is becoming a mentor to somebody named Elisha. Okay? Some of us, I will tell you, I would dare say some of those most depressing moments were life-changing moments, periods of transition. For some, it may have been where we had to grow up a little bit and leave mom and dad's house. For some of us, that might have been a joyous occasion until you got out and really saw what it was like, right? And then, some of us, it may have been marriage. Some of us, it may have been being a parent for the first time. Melissa was on high-risk pregnancy with Jacob. Uh, he, it, it was one of those things that, like, in April, he was supposed to be born in August, and in April, he, she, um, on my birthday, she started having contractions. They called it an irritable uterus. And I said, well, that makes everything now, honey. Um, so, <laughs> didn't near and endear me. She probably hit me with a bedpan or something. I don't know. But on bed rest for four months with him. And being a new parent, not having a clue. I always assume that all you do, you get pregnant, you sit back, and doctors let, let it go, and here it comes. Boom, there's baby. Easy. But to go through the stress of, number one, become, having someone call me dad for the first time, that's weird. Fathers, anybody there? You, you, it's a great experience, but it's an awesome experience. And mom's the same way. Am I right, moms? That's an awesome, awesome, not like awesome dude, but like an incredible thing, but it's also... An incredible thing, right? It's weighty. You, you're responsible for somebody's life and, and direction. My kids are all in trouble. Right? Transition. For some of you, it may be the opposite. It may be the death of someone. 
that is a transition in your life. For others, it may be that, uh, you know, I know with Melissa had a miscarriage, went through miscarriage. And I always just heard miscarriage and dismissed it. But I can tell you that was one of the most deep, dark, depressing areas that we ever walked through as husband and wife. Ever. Because it's real. And it hurts. And you know who knows how dark and deep it is? Anybody who else has been through that. Am I right? Anybody who's been through that? It's painful and gut-wrenching. My mother, my grandmother was in her 90s when we went through that. She gave birth to twins, I think, at four months of age who were stillborn. And she sat there with a tear in her eye telling me, I still remember everything about that day. It was my mom and my husband with me. And I still remember everything about that. And she shared that with me. Don't you think uh, time heals all wounds? No, it doesn't. Just letting time go, it buries them. For others, it may be a relationship that you were married in. And you know what? I, I, I said to a group the other day, we were talking about uh, marriage as part of sociology, and I said, guess what? Half, statistically, half of you, how many of you want to get married? And everybody, but like maybe one or two raised their hands. And I said, guess what? Statistically, half of you are going to be divorced. Yay! Nobody on their wedding day goes, whew, thank God this is only going to last a couple years. But hey, we'll take the china and go with it, right? Nobody does that. Nobody seeks to do that. And I know that there are reasons and there are situations and things that happen. But still, those are transitional moments in life. It may be good, too. You may have been somebody who was down here in, in, in work, and they put you up here, and you're stressed. You know, Danny shared last week from Kuwait that he's putting this responsibility and said, please pray for me so that I make the right decisions. That's a stressful moment, am I right, for him and for mom and dad because they can't do anything about it, right? Nathan, you just tell him to suck it up, right? <laughs> there we go. Many of you may be on the border of depression because you're in this transitional moment in your life. Or because you want a transition in your life. I can tell you middle age is a transition in life whether you like it or not. Anybody been there? Eric Erickson was right on. Anybody want to look at that? He was right on. Because you start to say, man, is this all, all I got left for the rest of my life? We can look at this thing. But, you know, he was also afraid. Did it say he was afraid and he ran? He took off, he ran, he was scared to death. Anybody been so scared you just paralyzed to move? You ever seen when, how many of you are like me and you occasionally try to scare somebody in the house? Jill and I used to play this game growing up. Run, get behind something and when they come up, ah! And nobody ever goes, unless they know you're there, goes, hmm, just keeps walking. Usually it's like, ah! You know, they look like it's crazy, but you're paralyzed. With fear. And so many of us live in our lives paralyzed by fear of the unknown. And we can't go anywhere. He was paralyzed in his ministry for God because he was afraid. And probably the thing that I think that affected him the most was that he felt that he was alone. Remember? Even though he wasn't, there's 7,000 prophets. Perception is reality. In his perception, he was the only one left. Look at what he says here. 
The apostle, excuse me, look at what the apostle Paul says here. It's no different than, than what Elijah said. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired of life itself. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament who says, we were under such great pressure, we just wanted life to end. You ever seen a pipe? Like a regular pipe that has water thrown through it? Water flows through it awesome, doesn't it? But if you back it up and the pressure builds up, it's coming out somewhere or it's going to blow the pipe out. Many of us live our lives as backed up pipes with pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure. And it's not always about what somebody else puts on us, but it's something about that we put on ourselves because our perception of ourself is warped. We forget whose we are. The one who said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly to the fullness to overflowing. Paul and Elijah are both at the peak of their careers when they say, I just want to die. One of the things I find out is often depression hits most when we're at the mountaintop. And when we've got everything that we want in life, we find out. It's no different. Why does it do that? Because climbing keeps us going. But eventually that pressure builds up. So here we go. The big question that we have. Is there an app for that? Guess what? There is. There's an app for that. And I'm going to share with you the verse of scripture that's in your bulletin. There is an app for that. The app for depression we can see here in 1 Kings 18.21a, when Elijah was yelling at the prophets of Baal, it is this, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The app for depression is choice. I choose. Now, it doesn't take it all away, but it's the beginning of getting right getting that self-focus right and getting it in balance with everything else. The app is choice. It is I choose. Now, I'm going to show a clip at the end of this message, which really kind of helps spawn me to the other part. Many of you know I like a lot of teachings from uh, Rick Warren. I, I, like, uh, he's, I, I believe he's put himself out there and dealt with a lot of stuff over his life. He's done some things that I think are just awesome for the, for the body of Christ. But I'm going to mention another name that you probably wouldn't think I mentioned, Oprah. Jill the other uh, week sent me this thing and said, did you know he was on there? She's doing this life class thing. Anybody know that? Just shake your head. It's, it's her show with people there talking. And she's had several different people on. She's had Joel Osteen. She's had um, lots of different people. But she had him on there. And uh, back in the, uh, about a year or so ago, he was doing a series about who we are. And as he was doing the series about who we are, he had this one section where he took, he took our lives and compared it to a poker game. And I know some people who like poker. Remember we were talking about all in over there in the summer? And he, he started looking about, like in five-stud poker, you're given cards that you, can't, that you have to use, right? correct, poker players? And if you're given those cards, he said, our life is like that. There are things in our life, in our lives, that are like five-stud poker. We are given cards in life that we must deal with. 
For instance, my chemistry, how my body is wired, I'm given. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to have like six-pack abs. Wouldn't anybody like to have that? Be good. I'd like to, I'd like, for, I'd like to do my laundry on my, on my belly, on my chest. Wouldn't that be great, you know? But ain't happening so far. So I'm give, my body is wired a certain way, and we all have deficiencies in that. But I can't do anything about that. I can't go get another body. I can't just trade it in. My connections or my relationships, no matter how much I would want to try, I'm giving my parents and I'm giving my sibling and I'm giving, by marrying my wife, I have their family and she has mine. I can't choose. I say, well, you know what? I'll take your mother-in-law, but I certainly don't want your brother. You know what I mean? We can't do that. We might try to do it, but it's not going to be very successful for very long. And you thought stress was bad before? Look out. So um, my connections, my relationships, I can't choose with who I work with. Somebody else hired them. So I have to deal with that. And I'm just giving a rundown of some of these things. My circumstances, what happens around me, I can't change what happens to me around me. My consciousness. The Bible starts to talk about some of these things. And my choices is something that I have. So these are the, that's the, that's, he says that my choices are the joker card, the one that, the wild card. So as we look at this, I want to share some things that he really shared that, um, in this talk that really spoke to me. He is the writer of The Purpose Driven Life. And several things he said were this. Number one, and this is um, the applied life, the choice life. Number one, I can choose, even though I'm given my chemistry, I can choose to get healthier. I can choose to get healthier. I can increase my energy. I can lower my stress. I can get in shape. I can eat better. I've been having uh, one of those days. Some of you uh, who's visiting may not know this, but I actually went to the doctor the other week, and I got on a scale, and I was 34 pounds lighter than I was a year ago. I was like, yes. And it also did something in my mind because now... All that, you know, I've been eating brown rice and chicken and fish for a year and, uh, and egg whites, and that's like my life. And then I have a cheat meal, and I eat like a pig, and then I'm good for one, once a week. And, but now some of this stuff is looking better to me now. Anybody with me? You know, you've been on diet, you got there, and you're like, I, maybe if I just bite a little bit. Maybe just, and yet yesterday, I got, I, was, I got on the scale after the first time for a while, and I was like, oh, I gained a pound or two. Oh, oh, no. I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to go back there. So I had to make a mental choice. That Melissa brought home a pizza. I love pizza. I don't care whether it's carnival pizza. I will make it taste good. I love pizza. And, but I went with egg whites. I had to make a cognitive choice. Yesterday, my legs were hurting. I had all this stuff going through my mind about, I had to get, church stuff done. I had to make sure the kids were taken care of. I had to do this, 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 this. And Melissa's going to be home and she's got to go to work and I got to, and laundry needs to be done, but nobody likes to do laundry. Dishes need to be done, but I'll make one of the kids do that. You know, this kind of stuff. And I have all this kind of stuff that's on my plate to do in life. You got the to-do plate. And what I found my mind doing, angel, devil on each shoulder, I I knew I needed to run because I didn't get my running. And there's this body part of me, this self-awareness of my body saying, no, 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 you don't want to run because it's going to hurt and it's going to take time and, that, and running just stinks. I still hate running to this day. And then there's this other part of me that's saying, but you know what's going to happen? 
And I had to make this cognitive choice. And then what went through me? The body was talking to me. And the body's saying, it's cold out there. And then the other part said, well, you have a treadmill. No, I don't like the treadmill. You see the battle I'm going through. And finally, I just got in my car, put on my, my warm stuff, got in my car, went and parked, and went running. And ran more than I did the last week or so to make me do it. And, I, and halfway through, I was cramping up here and doing this. I'm like, why do I do this? Because I had to make a choice in my life to change that area because of the chemistry I've been given in my life. I have friends who can eat Big Macs like they're Tic Tacs and don't gain a pound. I look at it, I gain five. The next thing I can do, I can choose to get deeper. Well, I can choose to get deeper in my relationships. I can get deeper. You know how you get deeper in your relationships? Risk. Risk. Risk and share what's going on. Look at what the scripture says here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We need people who love us for who we are, even in the mess, the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives. The third thing. I can choose to trust God regardless of the circumstance. Regard, I want, that, that last one's big. Because it's easy to trust God on the mountaintop, isn't it? It's, it's easy to trust God when everything's going well. But when you're getting close to the valley and when your life's caving in on you to say, I trust you, Lord, that's hard. But I can tell you in my life, the lowest points of my life have been the biggest points of growth in my life. So I can choose to trust God. Look at what it says here in Romans 8, 27 to 28. God knows far better than we know, knows us far better than we know ourselves. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives, of the love for God, is worked into something good. God has something awesome planned for us. And it also changes our mind about how we think. I can choose what I think about. Look at what the scripture says here. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And ultimately, this last one is the most important. The most important of them all. I can choose Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I can choose him to recognize that, yeah, I am sinful. And this journey is too tough for me. But entrusted in him, that recognize in all my mess, he loves me and saved me. And that he wants to be the ruler of my life. Now I told you I'm going to show a video. It's a little bit longer than some of the videos I want to show. But it's so important. You, this is a bestseller. Some of you may have seen him. And I just want to show this very briefly. Go ahead please. Let me just say to all of you on Facebook right now. To everybody who has a complaint on the tip of your tongue. I want you just to shut your mouth and watch this tape because Pastor Rick had one request for tonight's show to include a man who he says is one of the best examples of winning the hand you're dealt. This is going to shut your mouth. It's going to shut your mouth. Just close it right now. Take a look at this. Born in Australia without arms or legs, 30-year-old Nick Vujicic has become a symbol of triumph against all odds. His inspiring YouTube videos have been watched over 100 million times. It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. 
But the road to self-acceptance was excruciating for Nick. For years, he was harassed and tormented at school. When he was 10, Nick attempted suicide. After years of feeling worthless and alone, Nick's awakening came while reading an article about a disabled man who refused to let physical limitations hold him back. In that moment, Nick says he discovered the power to take control of his life, and he has. Today, Nick surfs, he snorkels, he golfs, and plays soccer. He's traveled to 44 countries with his message of hope. Even the worst part of your life can come together for the good. And less than a year ago, Nick married the love of his life and danced at their wedding. Nick's in our audience tonight. Say hello to Nick. We're standing up for Nick. Now, this is what's so unbelievable. As you've heard, people complain about the spots on their face and people complain about not having a boyfriend and not being able to have the mates of their life. What happened to you that you were able to take all of, take your chemistry, being born with no arms and no legs, take your connections, your relationships, your life circumstances, Mm -hmm. your state of consciousness, and then choose, make the conscious choice that you were going to take all of that which the rest of the world looks at you know, undeniably as a pretty bad hand and that you were going to turn it into something, you were going to be exalted by it. What, What happened to you that you were able to do that? Oprah, I know that you love to think out of the box and have things outside of the box in your show. And I know that you love illustration. So if I may illustrate in about 180 seconds, can I do something a little crazy, but it'll be powerful. Is that cool? You got a camera behind me, right? Yeah. I'm going to show you. Come, come, come. This step right here, is there enough light here? Okay. The chemistry, I was born without arms and legs. The chemistry I could not change in my life. I know that God didn't give me this pain, but what the enemy tried to use for bad, he turned into good. Man, the connections. I want to tell uh, Porsche, uh, look, I'm a guy, I love cars, okay? And I love Porsches more than Ferraris, okay? <laughs> and, and I want everyone to know that, that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And until you can actually understand that we are all wonderfully and fearfully made from God, um, I want you to know that, that you will always be trapped and chained and you will be stopped. But when you have the incredible power of faith in action, nothing holds you back. And you're beautiful just the way that you are. No worries. For me, I felt the connection. For me, in my life, I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to get married. I can't, you know, can't even hold my wife's hand. What connection am I going to have? But you know what? All things come together for the good for those who love him. Man, this is a little bit high. I'm going to break my arm, man. This is pretty crazy. All right. I'm going to break my arm. Circumstances. Being born without arms and legs, man, it's all about choice. You asked me what it was. I had parents who were my heroes. They always said, you you can either be angry for what you don't have or be thankful for what you do have. Do your best and God will do the rest. Man, consciousness. Because I gave my life 
to Lord Jesus Christ and the renewing of my mind, I knew that I could be unstoppable. Isn't that amazing? He actually has a bestseller book, and it's, I saw it at Walmart the other week. Amazing. There, what, what, a couple of the key important things is, I think a lot of us spend too much time under the broom trees of our lives, and we just get eaten alive down there, and we just get torn and destroyed there. We don't reach out to people who can help. We say, i got to deal with this on my own. We don't see ourselves as God sees us, fearfully and wonderfully made. Today, see yourself as Christ sees you, fearfully and wonderfully made. Praise team, come forward. I know we're running over a little bit today, um, but I just want to go ahead and just open up for a time of prayer. And, um, and so if you, if you um, want to kneel, please stand. Um, we're going to open for a time of prayer, and then we're gonna clo- we'll close out um, after that today. Just uh, be very present here today as we feel your Holy Spirit. Help us to see who we are and help us to find the right, the right people to help us get over this depression. As uh, Nick reminded us in that video, that we can see ourselves out of the world sees us or we can see ourselves as you see us, God. And uh, I just pray that, uh, I, know, I know we've all dealt with bouts of depression and suffering. And God, just by choice, it's not, we can't just choose things away, but we can make the right choice to say, I'm going to connect with the right people. I'm going to connect to the Lord. And I'm going to make the right choices in my life in order that I don't waste this great life that you've given me for something that I get focused on the, and get angry about the things I don't have, but that that I recognize that the blessings that you've given me in life are so that I can win many to you, that people can connect, and that maybe here somebody right here today, God, has not even made the choice to say, Lord, you know, I'm a mess and I need a Savior and you're it. And I just want to make that choice.